This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. A very good evening to you, everybody. It's Thursday, and for the first couple of minutes of the show, you're with me, Lucy Newberger, until we welcome our brand new host, Mr. B, or Joe, as I'm sure he'll be known to, to all of you. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So, whilst we're waiting for him to join us and indeed anybody else who's going to join us in this space this evening i should tell you a few things just whilst we're getting warmed up here um there are so many great events coming up in the next well sort of few days really it seems but a couple of weeks and uh one of which is one of our sponsors with the Slack group is teaming up with us, Teachers Talk Radio, to host a live event in Manchester at the Manchester Art Gallery. Uh, this event will also be available online, which is very exciting too. And it's got many, many speakers that are going to turn up as well, which is great. And uh, it's really exciting because not only, as I said to you, not only can you turn up live, but you could also watch online. So for those of us based abroad, you can attend that as well. We have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free, with lunch included, and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for Your Voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash yourvoice2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The TES magazine focuses on fears of a teacher trainee shortage as a report reveals ITT cold spots. The report in the magazine says the Department for Education in England has been warned that it must urgently tackle teacher training cold spots as analysis reveals recruitment issues across England. The analysis suggests that multiple regions in England face losing swathes of places on courses after a government shake-up cut initial teacher training provided numbers by a quarter. Recent results of the second and final rounds of the DfE's re-accreditation process showed that around 25% of existing providers could be lost. The teacher training sector is now calling for a pragmatic and realistic approach to ensuring trainees can access courses in all parts of the country. This comes at a time when the number of teachers entering the profession is falling. The North East is facing the sharpest potential loss as 32% of trainee places available last year are under threat. The East and South West regions also face significant cuts of around 24%. The report acknowledges that some new providers have received approval to start offering courses from 2024, but others within the sector are concerned that this will not fully resolve the issues. Providers have 15 days to lodge an application to appeal loss of accreditation. Teams of the UK's most talented young tradespeople are to begin competing in the World Skills Competition 2022. The competition, traditionally held in just one country, is, this year, taking in smaller events across the world. The event, which sees a UK team of 35 travel around the globe, begins in Stuttgart, Germany, on the 4th of October, and will end on November the 26th in Salzburg, Austria. The UK team will be looking to improve on a 12th place finish at the 2019 event. FE Week features details of the competitors and their areas of specialism, which include toolmaking, milling, web development and cybersecurity. Winners for each category will be announced during closing ceremonies for each competition, with medals given to those achieving gold, silver or bronze. Medals of excellence will be given to those judged to have reached world-class standard in their skill. In Wales, First Minister Mark Drakeford has taken part in an online Q&A session with school pupils. The session, hosted by The Politics Project, gives opportunities for schools to support learners in realising one of the four purposes of the Curriculum for Wales, becoming ethical, informed citizens of Wales and the world. Questions range from finding out about the politician's journey into politics, climate change and whether Wales can indeed win the World Cup. And finally, in South Africa, the government has issued a press release focusing on the recruitment of 25,000 education assistants and general school assistants for both public and special schools. The recruitment drive is part of the Presidential Youth Employment Initiative. Education assistants will support teachers with administrative tasks, classroom management, sports coaching and cultural activities, whilst the general assistants will focus on maintenance, cleaning and general admin. The programme is part of a drive to improve standards within schools in the country, as well as increasing employment opportunities. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week is World Space Week. Space is such a vast topic, there's always something you can find out that could potentially be a hook for a lesson. The theme this year is sustainability. I only found out about Space Week as I was browsing the internet. This got me thinking about how amazing the internet is and how so much information is at our fingertips. This week, I'm going to look at finding inspiration for a lesson using information I would never have known about without the amazing technology of the internet. During my research, I've discovered that there are a number of websites out there dedicated to awareness days. I've compiled a list of genuine, official awareness days to motivate your form, classes, colleagues or even yourself from now until the end of term. In October, we have Buy British Day, National Poetry Day, National Kale Day, World Octopus Day and World Porridge Day. This one sounds funny, but it's actually to raise awareness for children in poverty in developing countries. Local Radio Day. To celebrate this, our very own Tom Rogers is going to stop talking every time he goes under a bridge. Still in October, we have National Roast Pheasant Day, UK Coffee Week, Apple Day, Global Champagne Day, International Stammering Awareness Day, World Tripe Day. National Pumpkin Day, American Beer Day, National Black Cat Day, and Wild Foods Day. There's not much information on Wild Foods Day, but if you do go all Bear Grills, please do let us know how it went. Ending October, we have RSPB Feed the Birds Day. Please feed the birds more than just one day. In November, there's World Vegan Day, National Stress Awareness Day, Roast Dinner Day, International Stout Day, and National Hug a Bear Day. I'd advise against hugging a real bear, however, it would make a very engaging lesson. Great British Game Week! British Pudding Day, Tempoliano Day and Zinfandel Day are followed by Homemade Bread Day. I think this is here to soak up all the wine. Still staying in November, there's National Gingerbread Day, National Eater Cranberry Day, The Fruit, not a band member. The end of November brings us White Ribbon Day. Days of interest in December before we break up, a Fuel Poverty Awareness Day, Christmas Jumper Day and National Hot Chocolate Day. The internet is an amazing resource for information. I hope you can find inspiration and motivation in your next search. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Now, I've just seen that the lovely Joe has joined us already, so I'm going to toddle off and be in the background, and he is going to take over. I believe he is starting with dyslexia this evening, so I'm very intrigued to hear what he's got to say. So, over to you, Joe. Okay, evening everyone. Um, my name's Joe Beeman. So I'm an executive head teacher. So a little bit about me before we get started. I'm um, in charge of, well, I lead three primary schools in the Bath area. Um, lucky enough to, you know, to go to a wonderful university like Worcester. And then I've moved into kind of teaching and into leadership. And that's the position I'm in now. So this is my debut. So I'm going to hopefully get the grips of the technology and Hopefully some of you might want to contribute and ask some questions and come to different things. But um, ultimately, tonight I want to talk about dyslexia. So I want to start, so I'm going to kind of split this into kind of two sections, kind of look at dyslexia from my perspective. Um, and you may see if you follow me on Twitter or you've um, seen some of my posts, you may see I'm, I'm dyslexic and I've done a lot of research and thinking about it over the last couple of years and got some reflections that I'd like to share. And then move on to looking at some of the, the research that's available, looking at um, some case studies perhaps, and taking hopefully some contributions from you guys to, you know, so you haven't got to listen to my voice the whole time. So um, I want to start by kind of, I think the best thing to do probably is to start by looking at kind of what is dyslexia, what's the definition of dyslexia? And there's, um, there's, there's 
two well there's there's an oxford definition and there's kind of a 21st definition that's um come from a, a charity called made by dyslexia and if you don't follow them on twitter um, or you don't um, access their materials, I recommend you give them a search. There's some excellent stuff out there and um, some great training resources for schools, but also just the share of parents um, around not just the challenges dyslexic learners might have, but also the, um, the the strengths that come with. A lot of the research talks about the strengths of dyslexic learners. So if we look at, we kind of track back to the historic definition of the dyslexia. And if you were to Google it, and it was a pop-up on Oxford's, you know Oxford Dictionary. You would you would you would you would read that it says it's a disorder that involves um, learners who have difficulty learning to read or interpret words, letters, and other symbols. And it does state that this does not affect their general intelligence. That's kind of your Oxford definition. And um, when you listen to that and you hear that, it talks about the, the difficulties and the challenges dyslexic learners have. And I think that's a bit of a problem with with dyslexia is that it's we need to kind of shift the narrative. Now, if you look at um, made by dyslexia, so the research they've been doing, they've kind of come out of their 21st century definition of dyslexia, and it, and, and it reads like this. I'll read part, not all of it to you, but I'll read the, the main part of it. So it's um, a genetic difference in an individual's ability to learn and process information. As a result, dyslexic individuals have differing abilities, with the strength in creative, problem solving, communication skills, and challenge, but challenges, it does recognize the challenges with spelling, reading, and memorizing facts. Dyslexic individuals really do think differently. And then it does reflect on the fact that traditional bench, benchmarking for kind of um, academic ability um, disadvantage dyslexics, and they measure them against things, the real things that they find challenging. So you think about those kind of two definitions, one from kind of historic Oxford one, and one from made by dyslexia, which is the, they define as their 21st century definition of dyslexia you can see that there's a bit of a shift and it's kind of an eye-opener for me over the last couple of years with the bit of work i've been doing with it been speaking to the ceo doing bits of um pieces of work with my schools but also kind of trying to change the narrative on twitter and reflecting on dyslexia generally and you can look at those two definitions and kind of the oxford one and this 21st one and it's a real shift in narrative let's talk about the strengths first Let's talk about what the research says about the strengths of dyslexic learners. And there's some wonderful case studies that I can share with you of famous people who have kind of embraced their dyslexia and, and used it as a way to kind of challenge and, and, and achieve. And, um, and also the, the flip side of that coin, the Oxford one, which focuses mainly on kind of the difficulties. And I think actually the, the transition in that narrative has been relatively recent. It has for me. And, and I know that made by dyslexia, um, the charity, are, doing some amazing things but that's been relatively recent as well so like i said i want to split into kind of two bits for you and please um i'm not sure the technology but i'm sure i get a notification if someone wants to kind of jump in and and say anything or, or kind of reflect with me that'd be fantastic but um i want to talk a bit about my journey i won't dwell on that for too long but i want to move on to the some of the some of the research that's available and i can share that with you but please challenge my thinking, you know, challenge what I say. That's uh, the great thing about education, isn't it? And, and, and these sorts of, these sorts of um, vehicles that we have that let's challenge and challenge each other and, and, and question each other and really kind of dig down into to what we think is important and reflect on what we're saying. So, so please do that. So um, I suppose I, I really, it goes back to when I was at school and um, this is my kind of journey. So when I was at, 
when I was at school, I really struggled. I found school really difficult. And I, my earliest memories of struggling at school, kind of year five into year six, and then moving to secondary school. And I think one of the reasons I found school tricky was, bit, you know, if you, if you go back to my definition just a minute ago about traditional benchmarking, disadvantaging dyslexics, it was basically I felt, and, it, and I'm not saying this is entirely accurate, but I felt like school wasn't, it was, I was disadvantaged by the fact that I struggled with some of the basics. So I really struggled with um, reading and spelling. And even to this day, you know, I, I can see words I've never seen before and I struggle to read them. And it's, so I, I rely heavily on kind of sight recognition rather than phonics and those sorts of things. Um, and I, I, I moved through school, not, you know, kind of worried about being asked to read out aloud, being asked to write on a big board and those sorts of things, those sorts of things kind of um, frightened me, I guess. And that made school not the most exciting and not the most brilliant place to be. Um, and I moved through secondary school and obviously as you get older, you get more conscious of these things, don't you? So those things kind of hang over you. And even up into A-levels when I finished my A-levels and my teacher at the time wrote a reference for, for kind of further education, those sorts of things. And, um, and I mentioned, you know, well done, you know, well done, Joe, on your, uh, I'm, I'm doing so well even though you're dyslexic was kind of what was said. And, you know, I, it was meant to be a compliment, but I asked him to remove that and he did because I was a bit embarrassed by it. Now that's changed a lot. And even going into my early years of being a teacher and a leader, I didn't really talk about it much. I would mention it, but not talk about it. But the last couple of years, I've really been vocal about being dyslexic because I think actually the strengths it's brought me and the resilience it's created outweighs the difficulties I have I had with some of the basic stuff, I guess. And um, and I kind of embraced that and and I've used it to really think about changing the narrative. And I suppose I've, I'm in quite a lucky position because when you're the head teacher or the executive head teacher, you're, you're, you're kind of in charge. So you can open up about these things. But what I really wanted to create is a schools and environments and communities that would allow you know, people to do that confidently. So I've kind of embraced some of those challenges and, and, and looked at changing the narrative. And um, and what so we think about the strengths from the research, not just made up stuff, the strengths of the dyslexia that comes out of that. And what I see when I reflect on kind of my kind of journey through um, education into teaching myself and then into leadership. And I suppose the things when I read the when I read the research, particularly by the, the charity mobile dyslexia, and I read that research and I kind of reflect on what are the things that have helped me. And I think first and foremost, it, I, I'm, a, I'm a resilient and I'm resilient because of those challenges. Now, when I was at school, I struggled with the academic, but what I was good at was the sport. So I excelled and I did well on the, on the pitch and in the pool and those sorts of things as part of the sports. So I had that kind of flip side. I knew what success and, and doing well was like, but at the same time reflected on when I really struggled. But it does help you build a resilience when you're out of your comfort zone, like most of the day, every day. And then you look at the some of the and we'll go through some of these a bit more in, in, in detail, the kind of dyslexic um, strengths that have come out of some of the research. But from my perspective, I feel that the things around communication and my reasoning and how I connect with people, which all says in the research dyslexic learners have strengths in, have really helped me in my career and and I move through into leadership and been in a position now where I get to to kind of change the world, you know, kind of one child at a time in a number of schools. It's fantastic. And, you know, lots of people on the call would be um, 
we're teachers and they experience this every day, but it's, it's wonderful to be part of that journey. And, and and dyslexia has definitely helped me see that from a different perspective, but also bring some of the strengths that we can recognize in the research. I can reflect on those now and realize, actually they did you know, that. They were real special things and they would continue to be. So that's kind of my kind of journey. Um, and I would, I would, I'd love to hear if there's any, if there's anyone who is listening and would like to, just kind of reflect on that with me, maybe share something of a similar story where they've got a similar story. Maybe they, they want to say something about um, something they've witnessed, so some, maybe someone close to them or someone in their class, or maybe they have, are their dyslexic themselves and they would like to kind of share something. So if you want to jump in, please, please indicate that'd be fantastic. And I'm sure the technical team will be able to tell me if that happens. Um, so let's, let's think, let's, as we, as we move on, let's think about, um, Let's, let's, let's think about some of the research that's available out there. And there's lots of um, bits of, you know, lots of bits of research. There's lots of things that are happening. Um, and the, like I said, if you've not been on Made by Dyslexia, I recommend you do it. It's Dyslexic Awareness Month, which I was going to mention earlier and I've, I've forgotten, but it's Dyslexic Awareness Month today. So this is an opportunity for us to kind of use that hashtag, use that kind of vehicle to talk more about the strengths talk more about the um the things that make dyslexia really special um and, and support children to kind of look at it from a different perspective and build their kind of confidence but actually it's not just it's not just about children is it we know that there's a kind of a there can be in area society a bit of a stigma of these sorts of things and i think we've got a responsibility in education to kind of try and change that stigma and change that narrative and and support adults as well as children into kind of opening up and um, some of the children I work with and some of the families I work with, some of them have embraced that and they talk about it openly and others are still a bit reserved. They're like, you know, I'm not really sure if I want to talk about this because will it disadvantage me if people know that I'm dyslexic? And that's the narrative that we need to shift. And I understand that. I understand that entirely, you know, wanting to kind of hold those sorts of things to yourself because you're worried about the perception and I get that. And, and that's something that we can do by... You know, changing the narrative, shifting how we talk about it and celebrating and sharing research. It's not just about opinion, although some of this stuff is my opinion, but a lot of it. And I'll try to make sure that I make it clear when I when I when I share some of these things, you which has come from research and which is a bit of my opinion. I'll try and make that clear. Sometimes they blend across because it is important that when we're talking about dyslexia, when we're talking about anything, really, even education, we've got to be careful not to wander down that kind of um opinion opinions are important but if we're, if we're presenting them from a position of influence or or from a position and you're, and you're, you're presenting them like they're fact we'll be careful that they are it is fact and we know what you know it's probably a talk show for a different day but we know what educational fads can do and can create in the classroom for us so let, 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 let's try and be clear about what is fact and what is opinion and a lot of this overlaps but i'll try my best to do that because it's really important that this isn't just a change in narrative based on someone's assumption it's based on some research and things that have been done and a lot of the stuff i refer to will be on the made made by dyslexia charity there's ever ones of the uh, dyslexia what's it called dyslexia foundation or something and, and the maybe dyslexia I, I grab lots of my pieces of information from there so they're worth they're worth looking at and reading um so when we when we look at um let's have a look where am i so what i would um talk about now is so i talked about the definitions let's look at kind of some of the research so we, we've defined dyslexia 
um, in, in two different ways. And I, like I said, I prefer that 21st century definition, the one that kind of embraces the, the strengths rather than kind of hanging on to all those negatives. Um, and kind of summarize that a bit more. I've got sort of a piece of, I wrote it down. I was like, okay, so pull everything together. What have we got? So we've got, I wrote down, we've got dyslexic brains process information differently. Okay, that's stated. And we know that in terms of challenges, but also some of the strengths. The result is a, so what we get from that is a result and a pattern of strengths. And they include things like problem solving. We'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Um, creative thinking and also seeing the big picture. Lots of the stuff's talked around. And you look at the success of some dyslexic thinkers and inventors and stuff. They, are, they, they, they go beyond the here and now and they think about the big picture. And that makes a big difference to them solving things and creating things that are a bit different. Um, but they do have challenges. We've talked about that. And this is how I saw it down, the challenges. And, and they mainly lie with things like spelling and reading and writing and rote learning. So learning things by rote times tables, those sorts of things can be challenges. And what I haven't mentioned, which I probably should, is that actually this doesn't this isn't kind of a, a mold that the selected learners fit into. These are things that they could and might um, demonstrate or show. Um, it doesn't mean that every every dyslexic learner can't than their times tables, for example, there's a, there's a mixture of these things. And we know that it's a bit of a, it's a spectrum, isn't it? And we sit along that way. Um, and I think we have a responsibility to know and to spot and support and empower. So that's kind of the narrative change, empower dyslexic thinking, dyslexic learners. Um, and, and ultimately that could um, and that will transform the lives of these young people. And again, I know we, we, we're in education, we talk about our students, we talk about these young people, but actually, you know, changing this narrative will change the perception and the thinking of adults as well. And adults that have dyslexic children themselves work with them or are dyslexic themselves. And I think that's a really important thing to do in a, in a world where I would say the majority of people who see dyslexia as, as entirely about the challenges that dyslexia faces rather than the wider picture. And that's what we're talking about today. So let me just give you some, some of the research, obviously really kind of set the scene and kind of lay out a context, some facts about dyslexia is always a useful thing to share. And um, I've got this lots and I've got a list of some here that I'm going to, to share with you, but you know, I'm sure you've picked up things on your way and you've, you've, you've probably, got some things that you can contribute so please do if you if you wish to um, so um, a lot of the research says and, I, and it's different in different places but roughly speaking it that they reckon that up to one in five people are dyslexic now that's obviously like I said before that's there's there's, there's, a, there's a scale there's a sliding scale here isn't there there's there's people who have kind of for want of a better phrase severe dyslexia who really really struggle with the challenges and others that have mild dyslexia so is, is there's, a, there's a sliding scale then they don't present in the same way um and um they, and 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 they reckon one in five some research is one in ten but ultimately if you think about your classroom and if it is one in five you're you're, you're thinking that you know you probably like five six seven of your children potentially could have some form of dyslexia and we know that a lot of the stuff we can do in the classroom and i mentioned some of those things um, don't just help dyslexic children, they, they, they help all children. So let's let's do some of these things. Let's, let's at least reflect and decide if we're going to do some of these things because it isn't just the dyslexic children that benefit, it's all the children. Um, dyslexic is genet um, genetic, okay? So I think we've established that, we talked about a bit. These are some more my facts, but it just it really just helps set the scene if I could share some of these with you. 
We talked about dyslexic brains processing information differently. Dyslexic leads to, and I'll repeat it again, but there are challenges, reading, writing, spelling, rote learning, memorizing facts. And um, what's really interesting, they've done some research, they spoke to some famous, um, and I'll talk about some of these, to some successful dyslexics. And four out of five of those, which is a piece of research that's been done in America, four out of five of those would put down dyslexia as one of the reasons for their success. That's quite interesting, that's worth remembering. So the majority of successful people, you can define as success in lots of different ways, but in parts of this research from America that four out of five dyslexic um, learners put down dyslexia as one of the reasons that they've been successful. So that's interesting. And um, what you talked about before, another fact is that each dyslexia is different and it, and it leads to a different strengths, different weaknesses, and um, severity of those would vary as well. Um, there's a lot of research that talks about um, early identification of dyslexia being a um, key to future success. So that's another thing for us to bear in mind as educators, particularly in primary schools. And they talk about screening and those sorts of things. And you could do pre-screening, but screening is about five, yeah, about five or six years of age. So if we can understand the strengths and weaknesses of individuals early, that's going to help for great success later in their lives. Um, Focusing on dyslexic strengths again, a bit like it's well, everyone likes to hear nice stuff about themselves. And it's like, you know, if we focus on the strengths more than the weaknesses, we're more likely to get um, greater success for the children, more likely to see greater success. And that goes for the adults as well. Um, and research is telling us that dyslexic thinking is, um, is vital for our futures. So there's a lot of work being done around the type of skills that we'll talk about in a second, published challenges and sorry, type of strengths that dyslexic learners have actually is what the future needs, what employers need and future employers will need. Because we're in a world now where problem solving and communication and those sorts of things are so vital that actually the sort of strengths that comes with dyslexia are the sorts of things that are future needs and, and, and our future and our current and future employers will need as well. And there's a lot of bit of research about that. Um, some interesting ones from in relation to school. So I've got two facts here and I wonder if you can relate to these or if you understand these. But they, um, there's the research says that only 20% of dyslexic children are identified in school. And in my experience, that's probably about right. I would say it might be less in some of the schools and, and, and some of the places I've worked and actually sometimes it relies on um, parents paying for expensive screeners and those sorts of things rather than it being picked up from from the professionals in school so that's something for us to reflect upon and it also talks about 90 percent so you know your nine out of ten teachers have little or no understanding of dyslexic strengths so if you talk to nine out of ten teachers we talk to all teachers they can probably tell you what the, the challenges dyslexic children face but they can't talk about the strengths. And there's a lot of research about the strengths. Um, there's, a, there's a message come through and it's, um, it talks about, this is, I'll read it out to you. It says, as a select teacher, I'd love to know um, if any schools have adapted to help teachers. We do lots in the classroom for students, but I've not had much experience of changes for me. I'm gonna write that one down because there's lots of stuff I've done. So I'll come back to that when we go through um, and remind me if I forget but I'm going to write that one down because actually there's lots of things that schools can do. There's lots of things that I've done in my schools about um, changes to um, perceptions of teaching uh, for dyslexic children, but also how you can strategically plan for that. So thinking about screening strategies and those sorts of things. So changes to school practice. 
Okay, I'm just write that one down. Um, and 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 teacher, teacher CPD and those sorts of things. We can come back to that. It might blend into what I'm going to say anyway. But there is some quite um, there's some simple things that can be done if you understand. And actually, it's all based on education. It's all based on our teachers understanding. Um, dyslexia more, understand the strengths and the weaknesses and how we can support those and, and, and use those and challenge those. So let's um, let's have a quick look at, I keep talking about these strengths and I've mentioned them briefly, um, but um, I haven't really gone into detail about what they look like and what they are and how we can use them. So um, there's this it kind of sits in the six categories that have come out this is not just made up stuff this is this is research and um some of these things feel really big and and they will vary um in in terms of and like i said before it's different for every child and every adult that they may hold some of these or they may have parts of these or they may see them as real strengths of themselves but the first one so the one, one, one of six is visualization so it's visualizing and it's interacting with space senses physical ideas and new concepts. And the research has come out that 75% of dyslexics, um, when screened and when um, kind of tested or audited, with that 75% of dyslexics are above average on this skill. So it puts, it puts dyslexics at an advantage that they're more likely to be good at kind of visualizing, interacting with space, senses, ideas, and those new concepts. And you can see when we look at some of case studies and we know some famous dyslexic people don't we Einstein those sorts of things they've come out of new concepts and new ideas so number two out of the six is, is imagining so that's creating original pieces of work or giving ideas a new spin and it, all the big inventions are just twists and changes on, on, on older ideas and in the um, in the research they found that 84 percent of dyslexics are above average so that's quite a, it's quite a strong one for most dyslexic individuals so we've got visualizing, imagining, and then the third one is communicating. Um, so it's crafting, conveying, clear and engaging messages. And 71% of dyslexics are above average at this skill, this strength. So it's quite interesting stuff. The fourth one is, is reasoning. So reasoning comes under understanding patterns, evaluating possibilities and making decisions. 84% of dyslexics are above average at reasoning. And then we've got number five, connecting, understanding oneself, connecting, empathizing, and influencing others. And it talks about 80% of dyslexics would be above average um, at connecting when screened. And the last one is exploring. So being curious, exploring ideas in a constant and energetic way. And they talk about 84% of dyslexics are above average at exploring. And when I talked to you at the beginning about you know, I didn't, this is new, you know, I, I can see it. I can see this things in, in, in myself in some cases, but also in, in, in dyslexic children that I've worked with and sex individuals that I know. And um, I can see it. And it's kind of this, this research, which is relatively recent, has really helped me in kind of understanding that. But when I look at this and I think, okay, what have, uh, you know, what, 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 where's, where's my strengths? So I know my own weaknesses are. I know where my challenges are. And I've always known that. And I've always struggled with, you know, reading out loud you know not you know especially when I was a child and better now but when I was a child I've always struggled with spelling and I continue to struggle with spelling and those sorts of things and, and rope learning has never really suited me and, and phonics hasn't really suited me it's all been about sight recognition those sorts of things for me so I know where my challenges are and I've always known that and I've always been conscious of those and a bit embarrassed of those when I look at the strengths 
and, uh, that, and, and the kind of superpowers that dyslexic thinkers have. And I look at that and I think, okay, you know, I think I'm quite a good communicator. You know, I spend all my time communicating as a leader of, you know, when I lead three schools, I'm constantly communicating and I get my messages across. So I've got a bit of that. That's, that's, that's good. I connect with people. You know, we're all people, people in education, but I can connect with people. I can influence others and I do influence others. So I've got, I've got a bit of that. That's good. Um, I want to look at things. I'm energetic. I want to look at things in a new way, explore new ideas, look at patterns and possibilities. And I like making decisions and making change. So I've got a bit of exploring and a bit of reasoning. So when I looked at these strengths, for me, as an adult who's quite confident in myself a couple of years ago, these kind of really helped me kind of reflect. And there's um, there's also a book that um, made by Dyslexia had done, a book for children. Um, and I've, the name has slipped me, but it's it's by made by dyslexia, and it, um, and and it explains these six. They've got characters, and it explains these six strengths as characters, and um, it's definitely worth sharing. Um, and what I did, and we, you know, talking back to the question that popped up in the chat um, about how school can change practices and CPD, and a, a really good start is buying that book in every classroom and sticking it in your library. Because it does really help children look, it, it reflects on the challenges, but it spends a lot of the time, 95% of the time, looking at the strengths in a fun and engaging way for primary children. So if you want to start anywhere, Dyslexic Friendly Dyslexic Awareness Month, October, get that book, stick it in all the classrooms, stick it in your library and, and make it a book of the week or whatever, share it with parents and read it because it does bring some of this research through in kind of a in kind of a, um, an easy, accessible way in a short book. You know, it's a 10-minute read with the children. Lovely pictures and those sorts of things as well. So that's, I recommend that. Um, so that's, that, that's, that's kind of those strengths that I've referred to a few times. And um, if I flick through, what do I write down? And a couple of things as we go. So we talk about um, the research, don't we, and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the strengths of that research. So I've got some stuff that's come out of the research on top of kind of those things I told you earlier about the, you know, the strengths. And we talk about what can we do for children and what does the research and training do? So one of the questions that came came through was it, it asked the question of, let's get it back up. Um, it says, um, so as a, dyslexic, as a dyslexic teacher, I'd love to know more about um, schools have adapted to help teachers. Okay, we do lots in the classroom for students, but I've not had much experience that this changes for me. Now, I think... The one this this goes hand in hand, and I understand what uh, what you're asking. It's talking about adapting for the em employer, um, the employee, sorry, of in the school rather than the children. But actually, I think there's a lot here around um, narrative, and there's a lot here around changing. Some of the things we implement for for children can help the adults. I'm not saying we're going to do the same sort of the same level as children, but we can reflect um, a, a way, the way the adults do things in a similar way to where the children do. So, with with my schools, so what I've what I was really keen to do a couple of years ago is really raise this profile and change this narrative. And I use lots of the materials I've referred to today, and I looked at a lot of the research and I reflected on what do we already do, and it's not surprising in in, in good schools that a lot of this a lot of the stuff that can help the, our vulnerable children, our children that need additional support, a lot of the stuff that um, we can do is, is, is in, in the school. It's, it's there, it's happening. And um, it's, um, it's about making it consistent. You get out of lots of things in schools, don't you? And never, that's probably never discussion. I never, I never chat around consistencies in schools. But with these sorts of things, what you normally find, you look down the research, none of it is rocket science. 
none of it you're going to say wow i've never thought of that before most of it will be familiar and actually a lot of the time is it's making it consistent across the school so children in every year and every class experience and have the same access and then when we talk as a team we, we we all come from the same place if we all come from the same place it becomes consistent it creates an environment where those children are supported and it can change the narrative if we talk about it openly so if we look at what some of the research say it talks about and there's lots of there's lots of lots and lots of stuff but i've i narrowed it down to um 10 things for my staff to do because i thought if we do these 10 things consistently it will support the the dyslexic um, children but actually we know that this makes a difference to all the children so it's it's number one was to kind of clear clear access to resource okay and to basic maths and english resource um, and this is in particular things that are manipulative stuff that can can support a child so it's things like um, number lines squares timetable squares tricky word scripts dictionaries word banks now it seems simple and a lot i'm sure you've got that a lot in your class but think about how that's presented because actually what we don't want to do is restrict the vocabulary of dyslexic learners we go back to the strengths we talk about communicating you know that they're very dyslexic learners can communicate in a really powerful way but they may be restricted by the fact they can't spell certain things so you know let's gauge it so they, they're not restricted by that and they've got the confidence to use those sorts of words um, number two on my, my list of things that I asked people to consider and think about and make consistent was um, about visual and visible um, timetables. Now, dyslexic learners can want to see the big picture, and that's a little step in that direction, isn't it? Understanding what the day looks like, understanding what the, the sequence of learning looks like, perhaps. Again, having that available in a visual and visible way. And obviously, that does make... Um, it does vary you know your reception of year one children and, and, and children in kind of year 13 or whatever will have a very different experience of that and it, and it would evolve and it would have to meet those so it looked different for older classes third one i asked them to do was to um ensure visual and verbal instruction and this is where um it was a, again about big picture big picture thinking but what what is good modeling and the use of visualizers is key in this and I'm, I'm sure you've got it in some of your schools already but having visualizers and not just talking and narrating learning but also visually showing that and being really relentless and consistent in doing that showing the children what they're doing and how they're doing it under visualizer and this doesn't does it, this isn't just the learning this is also when you're thinking about mapping ideas or even, you can even think about how you model routines in school how do we line up how do we go to the, all those sorts of things support those vulnerable children but also help dyslexic learners um, understand the big picture of the day and the sessions um, one of the things which was uh, did come out in the research um, but more of a personal one for me particularly was that was about how we get children to read in class. And this is a real key one, I think, because we know that children who are confident and happy in school are more likely to succeed. The ones that are kind of skipping every morning are more likely to do well that day than the ones that cry as they walk in because they're anxious and nervous. And as a dyslexic learner myself, one of the things that petrified me and still does to this day is someone out of the blue saying, you need to read this out. I'm absolutely fine. I can stand in front of hundreds of people and do assemblies. Um, no problem at all. I can talk to you guys today until the cows come in. No problem at all. But ultimately, if you're giving me a book or you're asking me the reason I've never seen before, that, that fear, I can do it, obviously, but the fear comes back that I had as a child. And that really kind of that stays with you. 
So we talked about with the staff about how do we ask children to read in class? We don't want them not to read out. But we want them to do it in their own way and comfortably. We don't want to put them on the spot. So we, so the relationships are key here, aren't they? But you need to make sure that when we're talking to children about reading out or engaging in conversation or sharing ideas, that they have a warning, they understand when it's happening. And if they're not confident to do it with each other, they could do things where you go to pairs rather than individuals. But really consciously thinking about that, because that can make a big difference to their feelings in school. The next one is um, think about thinking time. We called it when we talked about it. And you don't want to get on the... You know, so it's all about thinking time. Dyslexic individuals, but all individuals actually, we're all different, aren't we? So it takes longer to process some stuff sometimes, don't they? And dyslexic learners in particular need that thinking time to process and think. And you're probably what you'll probably get is really good answers. Really, the stuff that sits with those strengths from dyslexic learners, you'll get fantastic stuff if you give them time to process and think about it and, 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 and communicate it. So we talk about think about thinking time. So in our classrooms, think about thinking time. So we're not going to be one of these schools that says, you know, the old days of the 15, 15, 20, 10 um, numeracy hour. No, 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 that rubbish. We're not going to say we're going to give them 30 seconds thinking time. What all we want is the teachers to be conscious of that. What does that child need in terms of thinking time? Do you need to say to them, here's your question, I'll come back to you in five minutes? Or is that child going to be ready in 20 seconds? You know, it's it's not just for dyslexic learners, like a lot of this stuff. It's for, um, um, it's, it's not just for that. It's, it's, it's about you understanding the children making those clever decisions. Six, so I'm down to six on my list of things that I asked my teams to do. Um, number six was clear routines, okay? And, and, and we know that's important for behaviour and, and those sorts of things, but it really stops, it can stop anxiety and stuff. Clear routines around how we do things. Get rid of the noise so we can focus on the learning. So how do we move in and out of the classroom? How do we access resource? All those sorts of things and have those clear routines. And they can be different for different classrooms and different um, makeup of children, but they need to be kind of um, in place and working. Number seven, we talked about younger children, about how we would help them with um, with reading and, and, and words and those sorts of things. And there's a lot of research talks about, you know, tracing and writing letters as well as just sounding them out. So they're sounding on the carpet. Let's model that as well. Let's write it in the air together. A lot of you do this stuff already. It's not like I said, it's not rocket science. It's about consistency. Writing in the air, writing letters and those sorts of things as well as sounding out. We talked about, so number eight, we talked about integrating concrete um, pictorial and we did this well anyway but we really looked at how we integrated concrete picto um, pictorial and abstract teaching in maths because and how they can use those resources and those ways of doing things to um, to really kind of support all the children and then we looked at and one of the big things I'm going to switch these around actually I'll go for number 10 as number nine so number 10 we also talked about some of the stuff that comes out of the research which is just really simple stuff and that was things like pastel colors for backgrounds and stuff to make sure that the the, the writing and, and the font selected um, was sympathetic to dyslexic learners again not all dyslexic learners need that sort of thing but we know that some do and it doesn't actually if it doesn't matter your writing being on in a dyslexic friendly font on a pastel background on the whiteboard it's not going to affect people who it doesn't affect, but it's going to help people who, it do, who, who struggle with the, the, the different types of font on a black background, on a white background of black writing. Um, and the last one, which the reason I've left it to last is it's around a big part of um, 
the, the charity made by Dyslexia is their links with technology. So they've got some grants and stuff from Microsoft. And they talk about the use of smart use of technology. Obviously, there's restrictions when we're talking about funding and stuff. But ultimately, this, the smart uses of things like integrated reader and stuff, stuff that, you know, when technology packages read to you and those sorts of things. So if children struggle with that basic reading, we're not slowing down their wider so if they're, if they're doing an awesome project in history, for example, let's not slow them down because the writing and the, and the content in their research is, is too tricky for them to read fluently. Use things like immersive writer cleverly and use technology cleverly to help them access that through Chromebooks and those sorts of things. There's loads of information about that link to technology through the charity made by Dyslexia. And I don't work for them anything, by the way. I'm just mentioning them quite a lot because they are they do hold a lot of information and the, and the CEO is very passionate about conversations with her. Kate and she's um there's some really great stuff they're doing and they continue to do um I've no affiliation apart from that apart from that we chatted and, and, and I've used their resources but I do recommend that's a good place to go um so some of that's come up as well I'm going to drop this one down as well there's another question that's popped up as well and it talks about um, expensive assessments and, and that is a bit of an issue and I, I've got a personal opinion about that which I'm happy to share but also I've, there's there are ways to um to strategically think about screening so we can talk about that as well so there's a couple there's a couple of there's a couple of little things to talk about on top of what i've mentioned already so um let me have a little sorry a little click okay so we've got so we talked about some of the research so what can we do so we can talk about let's let's, let's think about how we're going to structure this we can talk about how we can so the things i want to finish the things i want to continue and talk about is how can we how can we raise that, change that narrative, but how can we improve and support dyslexic learners? And we're talking mainly about children here, but these sorts of things um, help with adults as well and organisations. And how can we, and what can we do now? And how we can do that now? And then um, Mr. Bob on the, I think it's Mr. Bob, who I talked to a few times about this. We've got, we've got we talk about dyslexia quite a bit. Mr. Bob, who's dropped a question, um, he's, he's asked about, expensive assessments and if schools can take different approaches well yeah i've got some answers to that that, are, that we've done that can help now before i move on to those things that's kind of three two, two and a half things there um i've been told i've got to read out there are some sponsors for um teacher talk radio so i want to share um some of these kind of adverts with you it's, it's an important part of keeping this this going so we've got this is where i've got to read from a script so this is where i'm going to I'm starting to sweat just thinking about it. The dyslexic stuff's coming out, but I've got I've got my script of um of ads to talk about. So we've got with a Slack group, and they are leading providers, special education and care. They need people like you, I'm talking to you, to help them achieve more, achieve even more. At with a Slack, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offer a clear path to career progression, and rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. River Slack currently have a fantastic career opportunity available to apply for, and you can check this out. So it's riverslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. And we've also got Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach. And there's a new event. He's called, it's called Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a day full of dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload, and wellbeing in school. Lots of different speakers. Uh, a part of this, be lots of talks, workshops, and time to network with like-minded colleagues. You get brunch, what a bonus, lunch, and all refreshments included. There you go, that's, 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 that's all you need to know. It's a non-profit event, and all proceeds go to the amazing education charity, which is Ed, Ed Support. 
Um, this is a once, this is not to be missed. It's on the 22nd of October at ETC venues, St. Paul's in London. And if you search um, rewriting, well, rewriting well-being on Eventbrite website, you can find out more. So there's a couple of things uh, to think about. That Charlie Bird looks great and um, refreshments included. You can't really go wrong. Um, so so let's, let's, let's kind of track back. Let's have a little look at what we've talked about. So I've shared some of my things. The, the, the kind of the bits I want to talk about now is, I think what I'd be really, before I've changed my mind slightly, I was going to talk about um, assessments and, and, and um, changing practice and, and, and CPD and those sorts of things. But actually, I'm going to move to um, what I did pull out this for as I sat down and I thought carefully about um, some good case studies. Because, you know, when we share what, what I found with all these sorts of things and um, when we talk about, when I talk to the children about um embracing failure and, and looking at resilience it's nice to bring it to life with, with famous people that we might know that have been through some of these challenges so I, I did a bit of work and I've and I've pulled what I think are some of the most impressive ones and it's quite a long list so I'm going to be short and sharp with each one and I'm sure you can think of some yourself as well but let's go through so I've got, some, I've got a good historical figure so the dyslexic historical figure as you can probably appreciate in you know, many, many decades ago, they, the, the sort of um, screening and understanding of dyslexia wasn't available, but we, we can make assumptions. So Albert Einstein is, is one that you may have heard of, has been a famous um, dyslexic learner, you know, Nobel Prize winner. And, um, and, and lots of people said because of the sort of um, behaviours and traits he showed, he was leading people, so people who know what they're talking about, suggest that he may have dyslexia. So we didn't have the screeners like we do now, but there's a lot of evidence to say that he was dyslexic. He had extremely delayed speech, didn't speak fluently until he was like six. Um, he had problems getting his thoughts down, you know, retrieving language and reading aloud. Lots of things that, you know, we've talked about as challenges. Um, so, you know, it, it looks like there's a lot of dyslexic tendencies there. Um, but let's not forget, he, you know, he, he demonstrated, you know, unique, you know, he had a novel approach to, to problem solving. And, um is, is definitely one of the strengths of dyslexia. So it's a really good example, historic example of someone who had lots of trouble and, 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 and you probably read about his delayed speech and that he hardly spoke till he was six. And there's, 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 there's stuff around um, his resilience and stuff in that as well. And there's, and there's quotes from, and there's, and there's extracts from some of his kind of school reports that said he was stupid and stuff. Um, but actually, you know, we know now much better than that. And we know that, yeah, he had some challenges like dyslexic learners have, but he did some amazing things, didn't he? And then he won his Nobel Prize. So if we move on to kind of more modern day and what we've got more modern day and that's, um, you know, celebrities, that's, you know, what can we what can we share with the children? What can I share with you about people who have had these challenges? And the great thing about all of these that I'm going to share with you now is that they've come out and they've talked about it. And some of them are almost spokespeople for um, for, for charities. So you've got Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom and um, Richard Branson. They are spokespeople for charities. They 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 share. From, from from this kind of success that they've got, they share that I'm dyslexic and it's helped me, although I have had my challenges with it, and that's great to hear. So Tom Cruise, I'm sure there's some Tom Cruise fans out there, Mission Impossible, and he speaks openly about his experience of dyslexia. So he's one that's you know been quite clear about that, and um, and he and he, and he said he actually claimed he was a, a functioning. Functional, functional, fun, functional, illiterate. At one point, he said, um, and that was when he was leaving high school. So. He recognised the challenges he had had and, and, and he said he had trouble reading scripts at the beginning of his career and it's something that dyslexia made him feel he had to, um, 
had to hide and I, I can sympathize with that. So he used to hide it in school and he struggled to read his scripts, even though he became such a fantastic actor in the end. So it's great that they're speaking out. Got Kira Knightley, I've mentioned Kira Knightley. So she was obviously you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Pride and Prejudice, those sorts of things. And she she continues she does and she continues to speak exclusively to media outlets about a difference with um with reading. She does it in jest as well. So if you've got a chance to Google Kira Knightley dyslexia on, on YouTube and she'll talk about how people used to, she used to laugh and people used to laugh with her about how terrible her spelling was. And I think it's quite a nice quite a nice narrative, a quite a nice way of sharing it. Because ultimately it's um, you know, She's now successful, but she talks about how it's funny. And I think sometimes you've got to laugh at just these sorts of things. And she had a diagnosis. She was diagnosed officially with dyslexia. She was about six years old, so they got it fairly earlier, early. Um, and she struggled with our screenplays and stuff. But there's lots of stuff. And I recommend you, you listen to some of the things she said, the short snippets, and maybe share those with children. Jamie Oliver is another one, you know, famous. You know, done a lot of stuff for kind of... Um, Turkey Twizzlers and that sort of stuff in school, but obviously um, he's got his restaurants and his shows and stuff. And he um, he had a diagnosed he was diagnosed with dyslexia and that was early in his life. And um, he t- he talks about you know if you look at read some of the stuff he says he talks about the positive traits associated with dyslexia, and he's and he and he refers to his creative flair and his business sense. And if we if we kind of go back and look at some of those strengths, those six strengths that come out of the research, you know we, we're talking about kind of exploring and. Um, and reasoning and making decisions and, 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 and problem solving and conveying crafting ideas and messages. Well, that's his creative flair, isn't it? And his business, his business sense, it kind of goes in line with what some of the research is telling us. Um, then we've got the um, Whoopi Goldberg. Um, she won Oscars and Grammys and Emmys. And um, she talks about her, her schooling not being good. And, and she refers to dyslexia being one of the reasons that it wasn't a particularly great time for her. Got John Lennon. He was a, a successful dyslexic league singer, the Beatles, obviously. He struggled with his reading, his spelling, um, and but he enjoyed the, 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 you know, we know he did, and obviously he did. He, it was the subjects he could express his creativity, which he was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, really popular with. And I did mention um, the, the last two that I said were spokespeople for dyslexia. They, they speak a lot about that's Richard Blant, Branson, so obviously really successful. Um, and he, he he puts a lot of his success and a lot of his speech. If you, if you Google them and look on YouTube, he talks a lot about how dyslexics made him who he is. His problem solving, his um, his attributes are down to his dyslexia. OK, and we've also got Steven Spielberg, who also he talks about the similar stuff. And Orlando Bloom, another spokesperson, Google him as well and look on YouTube. And he talks about it being, it being a strength and he reflects quite nicely on it in quite a from a different way. And I suppose I've talked to, I've mentioned, um, there's the training videos available on, um, made by the sex are really interesting. And, and the thing that really, you know, remove all the detail, the thing that really kind of opened my eyes was there's five videos and one of the five talks about the challenges and four talk about the strengths. And I thought that was a real, for me, that alone was a real shift in my thoughts around it to think more about those strengths and then, and rather than the challenges. So some good examples, some good examples to share. There's some other ones I could share with you, the Steve Jobs, um, Jennifer Anderson, Noel Gallagher, other people that have been successful in different parts of life. But when we look at the strengths of dyslexia, you can see where they've excelled in, in their creativity and, and, and their different way of thinking. Um, so a couple of things that have come, there's, low, there's a few more messages coming through. Let's have a quick scan and I can come to what I was going to talk about with in the school. So... Let's have a little look. 
Yeah, and, and there's there's people reflecting in the chat about um, which is great about actually not not understanding it been a long time in education, and not um, understanding um, the strengths of dyslexia and appreciating the strengths of dyslexia, and what they might bring. As one person has said, what they might bring to the party, and I think that's um, that's what we're, that's what I'm desperate to do, and that's what I'm doing in my small part of the world is changing that narrative. And um, I think that's probably the strongest thing we can do. And it's recognising the challenges, isn't it? It's recognising the things that um, the sex industry need support with, and they do. And I do to this day still need, you know, I still, people still, you know, people still proofread my stuff. You know, my, my, my letters don't go out unless they've been proofread because I know that I, I don't write down always what I think. And I think quicker than I type and, and I write. So I, you know, on to the next thing before I finish writing. And therefore the ideas are there on the page, but they need, they need tweaking and checking. And sometimes when it's there in front of me, even with a squiggly red line in the front of the computer, I still can't see it. So, you know, we need to recognize those challenges and support those challenges. But at the same time, we need to change that narrative and celebrate those strengths and make sure we help children to use them. And that's what um, Helen said in the comments. She's, she said, you know, she's never appreciated the, 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 the strengths and what they bring to the party. So let's not, there are challenges and we need to support this. But let's celebrate the strengths and use them. Um, so, uh, Mr. Bob asked about, um, he was asked about the expensive assessments. And this is the thing that's always kind of, um, be careful what you say here, but you know, this is, this is always, this is the thing that kind of, um, annoys me a little bit, I suppose, because these expensive and they're thousands of pounds in some cases, diagnostic tools that are done by specialists can tell, can support children. <clears throat> and support um, um, the parents in understanding the children's needs. There's no doubt about that, that's there. However, is that the most effective use of money? Um, how do we support children? You know, they're open, you know, that's more of a debate, I suppose. But ultimately, in my experience, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's you know, there's lots, there's lots of experience out there. In my experience, the vast majority of things we can do for the dyslexic learners aren't expensive one-to-one -one packages and stuff they are just ch subtle changes in our practice how we look at supporting dyslexic learners benefit everybody and i think that's the key thing and they're subtle changes and in lots of cases which i think is really good for kind of esteem and stuff in lots of cases the, the dyslexic children won't even realize you're making those changes um the, it'd be just a, a little shift in what you're going to do um and i talked about those i gave you a top 10 you know the, the clear access to basic and access resources visual visual um timetables modeling um think about thinking time you know structure how you make children how you help children read in class especially allowed clear routines tracing for the younger children you know and looking at sounds you know integrating concrete bacterial um resources particularly in maths using technology clever cleverly and things and little adjustments like soft pastel colors and particular types of fonts all those things can be done as part of your normal practice and don't need to be huge changes and then it'd be really expensive so as part of the piece of work i've been doing with my schools the last couple of years um i kind of i had two i had kind of two strands to it one was um well three strands i guess one was um cpd train the staff get them to understand the, the challenges and the strengths that come with dyslexic learners and individuals. What can we do to help them? Let's really unpick it and spend some time talking about it, looking at what we do in class and making things consistent. So it's CPD, 
And like I've said, there's lots of great stuff out there that you can access, lots of research you can access, and there'd be nothing that's massively surprising to teachers. It'd just be bringing that together is the important thing. So that's kind of strand one. Strand two, and, and, and probably the most important, is celebrating and changing that narrative. So it's about celebrating um, successful you know, and define success as you wish, but, you know, successful, it might be little moments of amazing things, or it might be big ideas like Steve Jobs being a dyslexic and being really successful, you know, so change that narrative, talk about the strengths, and, and, and but recognise the, the challenges. And the third thing is a screening strategy, a bit more dry. So the two I like about you know, CPD and, and, and changing narrative and inspiring people, there is a place for a screening strategy. And if we look back at some of the research that um, we've shared today, one of the things that um, kind of stands out for me is um, nine out of 10 teachers not knowing the strengths of dyslexia. So that's where the CPD comes in. And the second one is 20% um, of children um, get diagnosed. And diagnosed is a difficult word as well. We'll come to that in a second. But get recognised is probably the best way to say it. Recognise that they're dyslexic in, in, in primary school, in school. So there's, a, there's potentially 20% of every class are dyslexic, but we don't know that or we'd only know about a few bits. And what we don't want that to be is just the ones that go off and get the expensive screeners. So there are good screeners out there. And why I was, why I was avoiding the word di diagnose, they don't diagnose, they don't, they don't kind of give you a certificate that says you they just, they give you a screen that helps you understand the needs of that child. And it gives you an idea and you can get ones that are kind of quantitative and, and, and they show you results, gives you an idea are they possible are they likely to be dyslexic is kind of what they ask and then if you know that you can put you can implement some individual things or you can look at changing some of the the wider things that we put in the school to suit that child or it's just as simple as the child now knows that they're possibly dyslexic and their parents know and the teacher knows and they can talk about it and that that can make a big difference so the, the best that i'm not going to start promoting things but there's a number of screeners out there that work out you know, you can do this if you work out at 20% of your children at eight, about £8.50 a child. There are screeners out there that you can do for that sort of level. And there's a few out there. I'm not going to promote. I won't talk about them now in terms of promote them. But there's, there's two or three out there. And um, they work out about £8, £8.50 per screen. And, and it gives you quite a good idea. And I and in the research I've done, there's some good ones out there. You can, if you want to tweet me and I can tell you the names of those at another point, I'm very happy to share that with you. Um, and, and the idea there would be that we would look to do 20% of our population because that's what the research tells us. So when we're budget setting, we're looking at the costs. We say, okay, 20% of our population, our children, our, our children in our school could be dyslexic. Therefore, we're going to be screening about 20%, probably a bit more. Um, and that's our budget setting. But £8.50 head, that's easily done. We take, you know, it's worth when you're thinking about those sorts of things, take into account, you know, it needs to be done one-to-one. -one, it needs to be done by a, a TA or teacher. So those sorts of costs can be looked at as well. But ultimately, the screener itself is, is about £8. And what that allows you to do is, is to get an idea and to, and to share a report, even though it's not diagnostic, it's a report with the family, with the child. So then we can say, OK, these are the sorts of things we do at home. Uh, so we do at school and these are sort of things you can do at home to help and we can talk about it and we can celebrate it and we can look at the strengths and say okay which ones do you have and which ones are you going to use and how are we going to support you with those challenges 
Um, so that's what I recommend. Now, I've got some good documents on that, and I've, and I've pulled together screening strategies uh, um, about timeframes and how we move through that process. And I've done that over the last couple of years, because that is a really key part. Um, and, and, and if you're thinking about, okay, so what age do we do this and how do we do this? Well, actually, they talk about screening at about five or six. So some organisations will talk about as early as possible, you should be screening children. Some screeners will say, don't do it until they're in key stage two. My personal thoughts is that about year three is about right, but we can consider it with year twos that are a, a, maybe a little bit older or a bit more mature who can access some of these screeners. But what you can do before then is you can, um, there's, there's, there's like kind of a pre-screen, I suppose the best way to describe it. You can just look and there's stuff available out there. They're free, a lot of these pre-screeners. They just ask you 10 questions and you scale score these 10 questions and it give you an indication of the child's challenges and it give you an indication of the child's strengths. When they're really young, I think that can be a bit hit and miss because it's a, it's, a, it's a screen at one point at one time. But it does give you an idea and it might say to you, OK, it, they're showing these tendencies. I'm definitely going to screen this child properly when they hit year three. And it becomes a strategy then, doesn't it? It becomes a strategy that you can implement to make sure that the children get kind of, you, you've got a universal offer all the children if you think they need it, rather than children go into private screeners for £3,000 a pop. And let's be honest, they're not going to, that's not going to come out of school budgets. That's going to be the parents that can afford it. So that's a way to make it kind of accessible. And that's a way that then you can, I think just the talking about it is really important because we've already got, if you've done it well, you've already got a lot of these strategies happening in your classrooms anyway, because you know it makes a big difference. Okay, have a quick scroll down, see what's coming in. <clears throat> okay. Help teachers, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, so I've got someone here. Darren said he don't need expensive tools to access, assess for dyslexia. The assessment that can check which part of the alphabetic code they need support with. Some of these are freely available. You're right. The one I'm referring to, which I said was £8.50, does a, does a series of tests. Some of it is around alphabetical code. And it's also around um, it's around um, recognising colours and, and the switch between colours and those sorts of things. And it's around about how, the, how long it takes you to process some of these activities as well but yeah there's some really good stuff out there and you're right some of it can be free particularly the pre-screeners i don't think i've seen any pre-screen or one of a better phrase and record of things of any cost whatsoever um is i suppose sometimes the the cost comes down to what sort of analysis you get at the end so you know i'm sure sliding scale of how good they are great okay let's have a little look there's a few messages wonderful so yeah yeah so it's it's, it's kind of like I would really what I would strongly recommend if you're kind of reflecting on this and that me as a personal and as an educator is, is is those three strands to look at if you can kind of really think about this teacher and I'm always more than happy for people just to drop me a um a message and I'm happy to share and there's lots of information I can share lots of training resources that I put together that I can share um but ultimately I, I would really try if we're going to support our dyslexic learners and we're going to support the wider children it's back to those three things isn't it let's 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 educate and let CPD and, and, and train our staff and our teachers and make sure they all have a good understanding and they know what makes a difference, but they understand dyslexia entirely. Um, and, and that can go as wide as, the t you know, getting the parents in and make sure they understand it as well. Change that narrative, you know, talk about the, the strengths, not just the weaknesses. And the last thing is a, a, a decent screening strategy so we can we can give 
information to people on on if they have dyslexia or not or if they might have dyslexia or not and then they can start talking about it in a slightly different way and thinking about things slightly differently those are the three kind of prongs i would say are really important and and um so it's recognizing the challenges it's, it's celebrating the strengths using those strengths and it's changing that narrative that's the three main things i would say now i feel like my voice gone on and on and I'm sure you're bored of just hearing me I'm very I would love to uh, I, we've got some time I'm not, I'm not looking just to kind of drag it out to the end but I will I've been told I've got to do this twice so I'm going to read the advertisements again and as I'm reading the advertisements please if you've got any questions I can't promise I can answer them any comments please drop them into the into the in, in a tweet or um, ask to I think I'm still there or asked to, um, am I still here? I think I am. You're still there. Good, good. Sorry, my phone just went a bit weird then. Okay, great, fantastic. No, you're fine, and you've got and uh, you've got Pat there as and when you're ready. But go go ahead with your adverts, and uh, then uh, Pat's ready for you. Wonderful. You're ready. I, I'm looking forward to speaking to Pat. So I'll I'll go for my adverts as I've been told to do. Make sure that we uh we sell these two great opportunities, and then we'll come to Pat. So we have a Slack group. They are a leading provider of specialist education and care. They need people like you, you listening today, to, to help them achieve even more. So with a Slack, you'll be given all the resources you need, offer a clear path to career progression and reward with some of the best salaries, benefits the industry has to offer. So with a Slack currently you have some fantastic career opportunities available to apply for. And you can check these out at with a Slack group, one word, uk forward slash careers. And we've got uh, Charlie Burley. This is, does look really good, actually. You know, looks really good. This the teacher health health coach, and he's got this new event called Rewrite, Rewriting Wellbeing, full day de dedicated to improving your health as a teacher. If you're looking at your nu nutrition, movement, mindset, workload, well-being in school, speak lots of speakers. A long list of them here. You can see them whenever ever ever bright. Um, there will be talks, workshops, and time to network with like-minded colleagues. You'll get brunch, lunch, and refreshments. Brilliant. It's a non-profit event um, with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity Ed, Ed Support. I'll be looking up that one after this. If interested to see what they get up to. Um, this isn't one to miss. So it's on October the 22nd at the ETC venue at St. Paul's in London. And you can you can search and find out more by typing in rewrite, rewriting well-being on the Ever, Everbright website and you'll find out more. Wonderful. Okay, Pat. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, Cam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my tweets probably didn't come up because my account's private. You know, being a teacher, um, I've been for. I only found out when I was thirty-eight, and I'm fifty now that I was dyslexic, actually in two languages, and I've been teaching since um, ten years now, and I'm quite very openly about being dyslexic to my students and everything like that. Even all the job applications I had, I always said it. You know, once I knew I had it. And it's never helped me back at anything like sort of thing like that. But like I always say, it's open to students. It's never wrong making a mistake or something like that, you know, sort of thing like that. And then they always say, so how did you get through life beforehand before you knew that? And I went, no one ever told me, you know, and I just got on with it. And they said, well, how did you get a degree? I said, well, well, I just studied, you know, sort of thing like that. And I only actually found out when I went to university. So I think sometimes, you know, when students are labeled young that there's dyslexic, they see that as a hindrance, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 I agree. And that, I think that's, 
And I think that's a big thing. Like I, I teach engineering and I've got loads of students who are dyslexic who join the engineering course and they really exceed and, and excel, you know, sort of thing like that. And it's about being quite open with it. And I think that's a culture that's really hard to, you know, get with some youngsters to be very open about it. Sort of thing like that. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I, I agree entirely, Pat. That's, that's a that's a great story. Thanks for sharing. It's um, yeah, yeah. It's that that narrative is going to be hard to shift, and and, yeah. and even with big names like you know, um, Orlando Bloom, Kieran Knightley, Richard Branson talking about it, you're still going to get that, and you're still going to. And I even get that now when I work with families. Now you get some families and their children who are like, uh, you know, put me on Twitter, put me on Facebook, show show my amazing work, and tell people that I'm dyslexic. And then you get the flip side of that coin, which is. I know I should, and the parents say to me that I know I should, um, it should be, I should be fine with this, but there's something niggling at me that if I tell everyone in a, on a place like the internet where, you know, you never get forgotten that my child's dyslexic, it might hold them back. So that's a real, it is going to be a significant shift in narrative and it's going to take time. Um, Pat, I'm quite interested. You said um, it yeah. was um, 38 or something. How did that come about then? Yeah. How did that come about? It came about, it came about was because I actually grew up in Germany and then I moved over here 27 years ago. And then I worked obviously in my trade, you know, sort of thing, like being a cabinet maker and building houses and everything like that. And in 2009, I'd done a career change and then literally went to university. Well, got accepted for university, which I was first really amazed by because my A-level scores from I had from Germany were really low, you know, mm. if you know what I mean. No one asked. No one asked me what the score was. It's just, have you got them? Yes, I've got them. <laughs> I had to do like an entry test. I had to do like an entry test, and you know what you do for the QTS? You had to do the English yeah. one. I flew through the maths one. I flew through the maths one, no problem. That was so easy, the maths one, for me. And I got to the. I think it took me. And I'm glad the year after they they didn't let you do retakes, 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 retakes of the English one. And everybody was going. That's because you're German. I said, no, it's got nothing to do with me being German. I said. And then they, they screened me and they said, oh, no, you've got dyslexia. I went, oh. So is that the point of QTS testing? That was the, yes, yeah, amazing. Yes, the point of QTS, yeah, that was it, the point of QTS testing. And I went like that, I went, whoa, I'm dyslexic. I was like, I went off through my life, never knowing that I had this. And it, but then it still didn't stop me because I still got a first in my degree, you know, sort of thing yeah. like that. And I'm going, it's just the amount of work I had to put into it. Like at school, I... Students always say, what's that little G show up in the corner of your screen, sir? I went, well, that's uh, something, I, a software that I use, Grammarly. And he went, oh. I said, yeah, I have to use that sometimes because you know why? It, it might not flag up a red word because I have used the wrong word. It's just because I typed so fast, I spelt a word right, but I used the wrong word or something like that in that moment. And they went, does that happen? I said, yeah, sometimes my brain races quicker than I can type. Or I type something and read it back and I actually don't read what's actually on the paper. I read what I wanted to read. Yeah. You know, and I have to do like a, 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 double, a double thing with it and, you know, sort of thing like that. That's what it is, you know. And I said, so sometimes you have to get like people to proofread and everything like that, you know, sort of thing like that. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's brilliant. Or, yeah. All I like to do is I put, like to put it in PDF format and let it play back on my phone if I have to send something off that's really important and go listen to it and go, that doesn't sound right. Something's not right about that. And go look back at it, you know, sort of thing like that. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, Pat. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. I can I, yeah. I can relate to a to a lot of what you said there. And I, I think I think a couple of things that you know, listening to you speaking there, a few things that kind of 
stuck out for me was about how you're you've been really open with your students and, and those sorts of things and 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 kind of reflecting on okay yeah I, I don't always get that right I've got this thing that helps me that's not a bad thing is it that's recognizing something that's a bit more challenging and it said I've got this and I use this because sometimes I struggle and that's fine. And the children hear that and they see that and they think, oh, hang about, you know, that's okay. Then you know, if the, if the teacher or the, 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 the lecturer or whatever needs that, then, then that's okay. Cause I can, I yeah. can be honest about that as well. And you'd also talked about, um, Pat, you talked about resilience and, and hard work and that, yeah, yeah, you got, you got yeah. your first, but you probably worked harder than some of the other people. Oh, and, and, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Poor, yeah. Is that, you see, you have to do the yeah. extra and Like stuff, I always yeah. say, like, yeah, like I always say to them, there's nothing wrong having a dictaphone or something like that, recording something and, you know, like, or talking into it, you know, sort of thing like that. If you can't, you know, follow something or need to listen back to something, you know, that sort of thing like that, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's, and like, it's, it's, it's having yeah. these, it's having these, um, these mechanisms, isn't it? These support mechanisms that support you and help you, you know, people who struggle with, you know, people who struggle with their eyesight wear glasses. You know, so why don't we have you know the support and the things? I wear, I wear them. As yeah, well. I, do, I, I do when I, I do an evening when I'm watching TV. So yeah, it's um yeah, it's, yeah. so it's uh yeah, it's, it's 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 understanding what we need in us to to achieve and to to kind of and you're an engineer, which is kind of you kind of fit into this. Yeah. What I've yeah. talked, well, see, what I've talked about I, tonight, you fit yeah. into the box quite nicely of yeah. somebody who's got that you know yeah. that, that kind of creative way of thinking and problem solver. Yeah, and I had the, the, the huge laugh one. This was, I, I'd probably share this one as well. I had like an observation lesson, I can remember, oh, a couple of years ago. And what I always do is when I do explain something engineering is I always look like um, that geocoding, what they call it now. I, I, I was looking, what picture would remind me of this, you know, sort of thing like that. Like if I do um, current, talking about current or something like that. The first thing I do, I draw a bun and put loads of dots on it. And then kids go, what's that? I said, that's current, isn't it? That you have on top of there and you like loads of them and loads of them will flow in one direction yeah. and stuff like that and then they go oh yeah and then you know and then that, that, that what made me laugh there was i taught that obviously different ways of this other things i can go on about it but i won't too much but then you you, you do like certain gestures with your body when mm. you're thinking about the certain things i remember standing there looking through the door of uh the exam was on for the engineers i just looked through the door glimpsed through it and you can see students sitting at the table and all of a sudden, they're doing like grabbing hold of their ear, rubbing the side of their cheek or something like that. I'm going, there you go. They're remembering those things, what I said to them. You know, like making yourself like a verbal picture to something like that and all that sort of thing like that. And I got told in an observation, she said, where did you come up with that idea? I went, what do you mean the idea for that? And I said, it's probably with dyslexic. I had to remember so many things. And you couldn't cram it in my head, you know, sort of thing like that to remember those. So I just start thinking sometimes I see things more than I can read things. If I look at something, I go, yeah, I can see that, you know, and people say, well, how do you see that? I said, I know how that functions. But then, like you said about colors before, there's certain colors. I look at them and I go, oh, not sure. Like when you get these colored pictures, finding numbers in them, I'm like this going on letters. I go, yeah, you just have me on there. There's nothing in there. you know. Yeah, far oh, brilliant. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Pat. Yeah. That's really fantastic. No Thanks for contributing. Yeah, I, I appreciate yeah, it. Your story's you. been great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's some more messages. Some more messages come through as well, so I can have a little look at some of these messages. So, it talks in about um, someone's recommended. Darren's recommended a, a a Twitter handle. You might be able to see on the list. It says um, Think Read HQ. He says there's some great great blogs and some useful discussions on dyslexia. So that's a 
I'll retweet that quickly. So that's uh, that's good stuff for, for us to look at. And there's someone who's asking about any blogs that I'm over or something. I've got a blog. I haven't talked about the Selexia on it, but um, you can find that on my Twitter on my Twitter handle if you want to look at some of the other stuff I've done in the past. I've done that for a while. And it said, um, and then, then Winston has said, I think even the parents shouldn't feel bad at this point if the kids are dyslexic, couldn't agree more. Rather than they should open up about it, help the child. And they should, um, when I was teaching in India five years, parents considered it a crime to open up about their kids. So yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of context, isn't it? About how different groups of people might see um, dyslexia. And I, I couldn't agree more with what you said at the beginning there, Winston, about, you know, there is no, don't be disappointed. <laughs> I'm not disappointed. And people, I see it as a, a gift that, I, that I've had, not, not definitely not something that's held me back, actually. It's made me exactly who I am today. And we all have our challenges, don't we? And um, and, and, and I have my challenges with dyslexia, but it's there's something there's so much more to the fact that you know it, what it brings and, and and the research we talked about today and the strengths we've talked about today and the examples we've shared and the case studies we've shared. Um, it shows you that there are that there are strengths, superpowers. I talked I talked to the kids about my superpower and I wrote in my Twitter bio, you know, it's a superpower. It is a superpower. It's it's, it's made me more resilient because of the challenges, but some of the stuff that I've achieved and some of the stuff that I do, I put it down to the fact that I think in a different way um, and, and I'm wired in a slightly different way. And that helps me in kind of um, being understanding education better from a perspective of a child that might struggle. But also I'm hoping it gives me some, it supports me in some of the skills I need to lead and influence and, and, and change people and, and, and change things for the better. I don't know, Lucy, if there's anyone else who's... Uh, contributed i've got lots of messages going on but i think i've read most of them you have and you've done very very well um i have been uh trying to give people a, a nudge and uh they are uh no one seems to want to 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 chip in but uh, if you do you can request to speak as well you all do have a request to speak button so please do leap in at at any point we appear to have lost uh, our host temporarily as well so I'm hoping he's going to reappear oh there he is he's back again uh <laughs> Joe I was terrified I'd lost you then are you there is he coming back <laughs> suddenly thought he'd maybe have decided you know what I've had enough and I'm going to leave you all behind he hasn't he's real he'll be there he'll be back with you in a second I hope Joe are you back You should be. Just need to unmute yourself and then you're good to go again. Can you, can you hear me now? Yes, I, was, I thought I, I thought you'd suddenly got fed up and decided that that was it. You were done for the night. I, I, I was doing so well and I cut myself off. I thought I was closing. I thought I was closing down the chat and I closed down the the all of it. Anyway, it was all going so well. No, you're back. <laughs> You're back. You're good. You're back. You're good. Great. You've you've uh, the floor is once again yours. Okay. What did you say just before I got calf? Because I missed. I, I said, is there any more um, options? Is there any more kind of um, messages and those sorts of things? And then you were about this talk, and that's when I cut myself off. There are there are people who um, have been um, asked if they'd like to to chat, but uh, I, d I don't know. I don't know if people. I mean, there are lots of interesting people listening in, and uh, who I'm sure would have some wonderful things to say, and they can request to speak as well. So those of you that are maybe thinking about it, umming and ahhing, we've still got time. So please do uh, give us a nudge, and we will invite you in to to share your thoughts. There must be some of you out there who 
who want to. So please do. We've certainly got a little bit of time left, but uh, in the meantime, Joe, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you carry. Thank on. you. Yeah, and I'm looking down the list now. Actually, I can see. Um, I recognise some some faces and some names of people that I've spoken to about these sorts of things before. So I won't put anyone on the spot, but if anyone wants to ask a question or comment, you're welcome to kind of chat with me like Pat did, or um, you can, you can, you can drop a question. I'm trying to keep up with them. And I'll try my best not to close myself out again, which I managed to do just a minute ago. Um, but yeah, so I, there's not, there's not, I don't really, I've got, I've, I think I've said everything I wanted to today, which is, which is really great. And um I've had an opportunity and I've, I've kind of been making notes that I've gone. I've tried to kind of, you know, jumping around some ideas, but I, I've, I've shared if I want to share. And, I, and I, will, I will summarize again and give people a chance maybe to ask another question or jump in. We've got a few minutes left, but we'll, we'll wrap up a little bit early if, if no one wants to contribute at this point. So I, I think let's go back to let's go back to the, the kind of summary of what we can do as, as, as professionals and how we can think about dyslexia in our classrooms. But actually, just like when I talked to Pat and some of the stuff I've said, actually, it's, you know, there's there is a lot of thought about um, the, the wider narrative. What can we do with that wider narrative? So it isn't just about our classrooms and our pupils and us as professionals. It's about being able to celebrate these things and help shift that narrative. So let, let's 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 go for. Let's go for thinking about those three things. So we're going to we're going to recognise the challenges. This is kind of our our, our pledge our pledge together. We're going to recognise those challenges. We're going to support those challenges. We're going to recognise children that struggle to read. To, to you know, um, ch children that struggle with rote learning. You know, um, spelling and those sorts of things. And and getting their ideas down on paper. We're going to recognise that dyslexia holds challenges for them, and we're going to support them with that. And we're going to support them with um, resources, and we're going to support them by um, giving our staff um, understanding and CPD, um, and and you know even the people that aren't sitting on our teams, you know, the people we talk to and we share ideas with, are going to are going to learn a bit more about dyslexia because we're going to share it, and that's going to help um, support the challenge of dyslexic learners because it's going to help them be more comfortable to ask for support and, and think about how they can help themselves and help others. We're going to then celebrate, and we're going to we're going to this is the the, the bigger waiting. And we're going to celebrate more about the strengths that it brings. We can use case studies. We can use some of the case studies I've done. A simple Google and you'll get a list of people that are speaking openly about their strengths of um, and how dyslexics help them. It's helped them in, in their careers and their, and, and their futures and, and what they're doing now. So we're going, to, we're going to celebrate it together and we're going to talk about it and we're going to use, make sure that we give. One thing I haven't really spoke about as much as I maybe should have was how we can embrace and give those children opportunities to share those strengths, to so give them leadership opportunities, give them complex problems to solve, let them innovate, let them, um, like Pat does, be engineers and engineer and those sorts of things. So it's not just about celebrating the strengths, it's giving young people, um, and if we, you know, if you're not in education and you're sitting there and you're, you're, you work in an organisation with adults, you know, you're going to give those adults opportunities to use those strengths if you know that it's dyslexic and, and, and you're going to embrace those and make them do and help them do special things. And then the big thing we're going to do together and we're going to keep doing everything, let's change that narrative. We're going to shift what people think about dyslexia. We're going to, sh we're going to shift um, how we talk about it. And we're not going to be one of those 90% of teachers that don't even realise their strengths to dyslexia. We're going to recognise that there are strengths and we're going to use um, evidence and research to demonstrate that in case studies. Um, and there's lots of it available. And I've mentioned a few things, you know, made by dyslexia, dyslexia foundation. There's all these sorts of places. And I suppose, and I've said it a few times, I don't work for my promise, but the made by dyslexia stuff, the thing that really makes that 
my go-to place is that it starts with the strengths and then talks about the challenges later. And I think that starting with the strengths about the great things it brings. And Kate, who's the CEO, is also dyslexic. And we've we, we, we've met on Teams a couple of times, not lucky enough to meet in person yet. We met on Teams kind of just to talk about, you know, our kind of journeys and stuff. And and, that, and this is national, um, this is Dyslexic Awareness Month. So there's lots of stuff online about this and there's a hashtag knocking about. So I'm sure you can pick up some other discussions and, and research that's out there. Um, Joe, yeah. so sorry to, to, to jump in again. Just just so you know, you've got Mr. Ha- Mr. Hamid, I believe, who is uh, eager to talk to you before... We, we run out of time this evening. I'm so sorry just to kind of... Jump no, no, no. In, I, I but, just got uh, to the end of my line there. It's perfect timing. <laughs> right. Um, so if he's still there, hopefully he can unmute himself and uh, we can chat away. Mr. Hamid, you there? Yes, I am. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you for um, the really inspirational talk about about your experiences of dyslexia and and just actually making it more open for teachers who who do have dyslexia as well um one question i have for you um i don't know i i did join the talk slightly later is um well i am a trainee te- teacher at this current moment um and the question was if lesson planning for me is actually quite hard because it, you're trying to grapple with everything and processing what you need to teach is quite hard <laughs> for me yeah. would you would you have any tips on how as being a dyslexic trying to process everything <laughs> that you need to do for a particular lesson um what, what kind of tips would you give yeah. for for dyslexic teachers to actually plan their lessons effectively of course. Uh, uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to give you some of my thoughts there. And I don't know, I'm sure there's ever um, colleagues out there in, in, in this on this call that might be able to contribute as well. But from my perspective, I would say um, when I, so the planning, I think the first thing to, to, to recognise is the planning's for you. So you're, you're planning for you, not for anyone else. Now, I know as a trainee teacher, you share those plans wider, but I wouldn't worry and I wouldn't hang up too much on particularly how it's probably presented or those sorts of things. It's, is, is it uh, effective in order to help you fulfill the objectives of the sessions that you're planning? That's probably the first thing I'd say. The second thing I would probably say, which helps me when I was, I'm not class-based anymore. I'm an executive head teacher now, so you may not have missed, you may have missed my intro at the beginning, but so I'm not class-based. I still teach a bit when I get a chance for, so I enjoy being in the classroom, but I don't plan the way I used to. But when I did, I used to think about, which is not a bad way of looking at planning is think about, you know, the big picture. So what are you really, so at the end of a session or a lesson, um, it's almost like reverse, it's like reverse engineering plan, is it planning backwards? You know, what do you want the children to achieve at the end? And, and then what are the, the kind of skills and the knowledge that you're expecting them to achieve and starting there and working, working, working back is a good way of looking at it and looking at those small steps. And as, as you may not, you know, like we've talked about dyslexic, minds being different and we don't all have the same strengths and it's all a sliding scale but one of the things that I've always liked to look at is that big picture the big picture for me has always been and it's really helped me not just in planning of lessons but in in looking at strategy across schools or even in my personal life where's where am I looking to get to what where's the big where's the big thing at the end and that doesn't mean the end of like a, a year or so it can be the end of a session or end of a week or whatever it might be starting there and planning towards that that's always helped me personally 
and that's always quite a good way of planning anyway. So that's what I would that's what I'd say. A couple of little tips for you there. That's why I would, I would look at it. And um, the third thing I'll probably say is um, never stop reflecting and never stop su- asking for helping and asking for support for whatever it might be. The best teachers, and I, I learn something every time we step inside a classroom, um, irrelevant if it's a brand new teacher or teacher has been teaching 30 years, always sit back and say, okay, what have I learned and how can I reflect and ask questions and reflect on that and continue to learn like we ask the children to do. So they're kind of slightly dyslexic friendly approaches to support dyslexic teachers, but actually generally I think they're the good principles as well to apply when you're looking at things like planning. So Mr, I mean, is that, how does that, I'm not saying it's perfect, but hopefully that's gives you a point of reflection. That does, thank you very much for your help and your insight. No problem at all. I, I, I enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Lucy, is any is anyone else? Uh, not at the moment, as far as I'm aware. But uh, I think you've done phenomenally well this evening for for your debut show, Joe. So, very very well done. Um, I will leave you to conclude in any way you feel is appropriate. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it, and it's and, and it's great to have quite a long list of people that have popped in and. And, and dropped in messages and those sorts of things. And 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 f- from my perspective, um, kind of the conversation isn't over for me, you know. So I, I you know, I'm on Twitter. You can see I'm in I'm in the list. So it's Mr B underscore online. And um, you know, talk to me, send me messages. You know, get involved in the conversation. I will be inevitably dropping things, particularly this month in Dyslexic Awareness Month. Little little moments of thoughts and stuff. Um, you can ignore the other stuff if you're not interested in all the other stuff that I bang on about on Twitter, but there will be dyslexic stuff about the dyslexia weaved in there. Um, and um, please feel free to kind of, you know, DM me um, or drop me messages and, and let's keep the conversation going and let's let's, let's change that narrative. That's, that's really important to me and hopefully and it's really important to a lot of people. So that's my sign off. Thank you, Lucy. Great stuff, Joe. Uh, thank you, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.